0: everyone and welcome to episode 162 of the inking out loud podcast i'm your host rob santos and i'm joined as i always am by my co-host drew mccaffrey how's it going everybody and today drew and i are wrapping up some of our discussion actually i should say the rest of our discussion on daniel polanski's lowtown trilogy with the ending of she who waits But before we do, and just a quick reminder, if you like to check out some of our bonus content like monthly short episodes, our monthly newsletter, access to episodes early, um, curated reading lists, access to mine and especially Drew's own writing... Or even if you want just this chance to suggest future titles for us to cover on the podcast, check out our Patreon page at Inking Out Loud. Or if you simply just want to support the show or more specifically our artists and our website, you can also make a one-time donation on Coffee as well. That is K-O-F-I. And you will find us there at Inking Out Loud. Now, we have a rather interesting book to talk about and wrap up today. And We cannot do that, of course, without a solid recap from a solid guy.
1: Drew, <laughs> how did this series end? All right. The second half of She Who Waits picks up after Warden via the dying Yancey sets up secret passage on a boat to the free cities for himself, Adolphus, Adeline, and Wren. But before they can make good on their escape, Warden has a lot of unfinished business in Lowtown. He is still contracted by the Sons of Socra to seek out information about Coronet and newly contracted by the Old Man to inform on the Sons of Socra. He's also still trying to mediate between Uriel's unredeemed Asher's and Callum's backwater gits while doing his best not to get killed by the now completely off the rails, Agent Crowley. Balancing all of these leads Warden down several different trails, revealing that the old man has somebody informing on Warden for him. Knowing Twissant's duplicity, Warden dispatches him first. He also hunts down the practitioner who worked on Coronet back in the day, learning where Uriel has set up the production of Red Fever. Using Wren as an accomplice, Warden embarrasses Asleton and convinces him to hit the Red Fever site at the same time as Warden himself will be hosting the meeting between the Ashers and the Gits. The raid goes as Warden expects, pissing off Uriel and ending any real chance there was for peace between the two groups. Warden finds himself struggling to keep hold of everything, though, and realizes that it was Yancey informing on him all along he goes to Yancey's house where the rhymer comes clean before hurrying to Mazzy's to save Wren. There, Warden finds six Black House enforcers in the midst of horrible deaths at the hands of Mazzy, as well as a shaken, but healthy Wren. From there, he heads back to the Earl only to find Adolphus dead along with two of Crowley's henchmen. Warden arms himself and burns down the Earl, making a deal with Guiscard in the process. He then arranges a new ship for Adeline and Wren, and then moves to finish his business with Crowley. Using Crispin's eye to make himself superhuman, Warden slaughters Crowley's troops and faces down the man himself. But Warden weakens more quickly, and is only saved at the last second by Wren. Warden drugs Wren, then, and has him delivered to the ship with Adeline, bound for safety. Finally, Warden plays his last card, arranging a final maneuver for the Sons of Sakra a betrayal of the old man, and in return, they will give Albertine to Warden. It goes off smoothly, with Warden satisfying his curiosity regarding his ex-lover, but letting her live, and then taking pleasure in defeating the old man, leaving him to be killed by the sons of Sacra. Hurrying at last through Lowtown, Warden is left exhausted and unprepared for one final betrayal, Guiscard's. The new boss of Black House ties up the final loose end, having two agents knife Warden and leaving him for dead in an alley. And Warden dying.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where do we begin? Is there anything in particular you want to start with? I'm going to be talking, I I expect, for a few uninterrupted minutes when I get to mine, but I'll give you the chance to start us (laughs) off.
1: Yeah, I want to talk about what the end of this book means for the series and, and what it means for a genre, please the, grim, the grimdark okay. genre. Sure. It, grimdark is a term that gets tossed around a lot. Uh, it's certainly a term we've used a lot on the podcast. We've used it to describe many books we've covered. Uh, we, we've certainly the acts of Cain. We've talked about mm-hmm. it in, in terms of the black company, uh, even a little bit with Robert Jackson Bennett you know with uh, the lies of Loch Lamora things like that and and grimdark is uh, it it has kind of become this ubiquitous term to describe science fiction or more specifically fantasy that has morally gray characters gritty violent scenes um generally a a, a darker obviously you know world building a darker setting a darker outlook on life um a lot of people will say it's nihilistic in its uh in its approach toward story and i think in general that nihilism doesn't really apply to a lot of books that are described as grimdark uh certainly not like you know we we talk about the acts of Cain as being like Mm -hmm. grimdark but it's not really nihilistic. Uh, when you look at a lot of these series that that are um, "quote unquote" grim dark, there is an underlying, you know, kind of hope for the future. Like the these characters are fighting for something. That is absolutely not the case with Lowtown.
0: <laughs> well, you could argue that with Warden, what he's fighting for is to leave something good behind, and he's. Finally, accomplished that with Ren. And that's part of his closing thoughts. Could, I don't agree that I, it's enough. Yeah, you could argue that.
1: You could argue that. That could be argued. Yeah. But so much of Warden, so much of his mindset in this is that, mm-hmm. like, Ren is sort of an, an unlooked for bonus to his life. That he, especially when we get into the final pages of this book, yeah. he's thinking about how, really, how little he accomplished in his life. Uh, we're left with this hollowness. And then, of course, killing off the main character, killing off the narrator at the end of the series is is not something you see in a lot of grimdark, even. Like, you know, it, it's just not that common uh, for a genre that purports to be um, as depressing as it gets. Uh, I think this was a really depressing series. I think this nails what oh. Grimdark is. Uh, I there There's an emptiness that I'm left with. And I think that was on purpose. Um, so much of the end of this book was unsatisfying. We don't yep. get a satisfying conclusion, a, a satisfying
0: yeah.
1: apotheosis for Warden. We don't get a satisfying conclusion for his relationship with Albertine. We don't get a satisfying conclusion Actually, for what's going to happen with, um, with Regus, with the world at large. We, we don't get questions answered, and we don't have, like, uh, each of these disparate things all end up with one underlying thematic conclusion, and that's, like, it didn't really matter. The only one that did matter was Ren. Yeah that feeling of
0: being unsatisfied is runs so counter to what I Rob Santos look for in a fantasy series and it's, it's it really really definitely contributed to why I just really did not enjoy this series overall <laughs> you know i like this was the hardest subject material for me to finish for this podcast i think and we are like i said earlier 162 episodes in and this this, this includes our you know did not finish titles because i didn't spend 3 books waiting for <laughs> ruin of kings to pay off i was was able to put that down and feel generally okay about that About this series though i just i'm not sure what to say that i don't that i haven't said many times already my complaints about this series are the same now that they were at the beginning and it does have a lot to do with it and its place in fulfilling i suppose what grimdark is it's just and i'm sure there's lots contained inside it that went over my head there's got to be something i'm not getting but i just can't find anything redeeming about this trilogy for me besides warden's excellent one-liners the setting is boring the main character has zero redeeming qualities and what little spectacle or action exists which it's very very sparse for me that would at least be a step in the way of redeeming it it's all completely shoved aside in favor of politics and the author's borderline obsessive need to prove how gritty and brutal he can be every (laughs) 30 seconds you know like polanski He has this colorful voice, and it's all the more unpleasant to be consistently stuck in Lowtown slash Brigus because of that. At the beginning of the series, I was like, okay, it's a boring setting that I don't like. It's got all of this, look how gritty I can be covering everything, but it's Polanski, so at least the quality of the writing is there. But after three books of that colorful voice, continuing to paint the same nasty images over and over and over again, it was just... It's it was exhausting, and Polanski's not subtle about it either. I feel no. like every adjective is a negative one, regardless of the situation. <laughs> every smell is a stench, so to speak. Like yep. he, I, I can just imagine, and this is how I, I may be projecting here, but I can imagine Polanski sitting down every time I write, I, I read, I open the page again, and I, I imagine him being in this, okay, I'm in the middle of describing this scene, and mm, I need a descriptor, and you go, oh, I got it, dark and gross, every time, not specifically those (laughs) two, but in that direction. It's really easy to turn around and say, well, that's just Warden. Everything is filtered through the way Warden sees it. That's the kind of character that Warden is. But then I could just as easily turn around and say, okay, the fact that that is your main character's voice is what holds this series back for me. I'm just kind of jaded on the author trying every other sentence to gross me out, or shock me. I don't care for it. It doesn't engage me. And there was this really hilarious, like serendipitous, almost part about this particular rant that I'm on because I had pulled out my phone at the end of chapter twenty-six to make this point. And chapter twenty-six was the that next meeting that we had with Callum and uh, his lot. Right. Yep. So I had literally written out my phone or pulled up my phone, whipped it out to write down. And I quote, "Ugh, when does this series end? I want to return to the normal world where people and things have the potential for being anything other than ugly and gross. And I bullshit you not on the first fucking page of chapter 27. As soon as I put that down, Brother Hume and I were huddled together in a back booth at Edgar's, which was a shitty little diner in Offbend. The coffee was cold, the pie was stale, our waitress looked a few years shy of her centennial, and someone had, an, had ashed a cigarette into the bowl of stew I had ordered. I was just like, it was just such a moment of, no, you are stuck in this shit. I've never felt, Drew, I've never felt suffocated by a series before. It was, hmm. the Lowtown trilogy is just saturated with ugly. It's the only way I can I can describe... The feeling that I got with this and it was just too much and it drug it was
1: just way too long for this payoff.
0: Yeah so I, I'll let no, you
1: take it here. I think that's a, a valid, you know, a valid reaction to this series. Like I don't think Low Town was as dark as Blade of Tai or mm, Sure. Or the Gap Cycle
0: There wasn't as much room for it. It was just saturated. I feel it was just all that cozy in there. Was but there's
1: a dreariness to it. There's a, a bleakness to it. It's not necessarily oh, like look at how horrible and horrific human experience can be, but it's it's more like look at how pointless human experience is, and. And that absolutely comes through Warden's voice. Like you said, like even when he's describing things that aren't terrible and crappy and, and you know, garbage when he's describing things that are nice, that are fine, there's a bitterness to it. You know, there's as if there's a problem with things being nice. Um, Mm -hmm. And 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 so so I totally understand how that can be oppressive to to readers yeah Um, could
0: you picture albertine in your head because he that was one of the the few characters who got a positive description but can you picture her at all
1: in your head uh, i couldn't until the final scene with her and so this is this is something you know another style narrative point for us to talk about a little later on Um, sure but uh but yeah i think this is a symptom of the the criticism i've had of the series from the get-go is that i don't really feel grounded in the setting despite like or or I, maybe not i don't feel grounded in the setting but i don't care about the setting i'm not invested in the setting
0: yeah and <laughs>
1: yeah. and that's you know i've talked about it as as kind of a flaw for an urban fantasy um but after finishing the series, I, I now think like this isn't necessarily an unintended flaw. I think this was a deliberate choice that Polanski made, where he's like, "I don't want to give the the urban setting special flair and character because the urban setting doesn't matter." <laughs> You're know, like, I'm not going to spend three books, you know, showing the transformation okay. of a city and and like and saving the future of Regis. It's like, no. We're left where Regis just has new people in charge and it's going to be yeah. the same old dump.
0: Yeah. Well, then it falls flat for me in a different way, but it still falls flat. Like, I, like the, on this exact point in chapter 30, I had written this down. In chapter 30, there was this there's a scene where the young man, the step, tries to convert uh-huh. Warden.
1: And, oh my gosh, And Warden yeah.
0: thinks. By his accent, I took him to be fresh from the provinces, a farm boy who knew no more of riggis than it was, or than that it was, the epicenter of all mankind's sin. And I stopped in that moment, and I wrote down, well, I mean, three books in, do we know anything more about riggis than that? Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, I I don't know. This, yeah. it, this, I was hoping there'd be more to the overall conflict and the scope of that conflict, too. You know, I was hoping there would be this Dark God breaking free or something. This plague that's being ushered in and has been built up for three books. You know, it mm-hmm. fuels enough death for her to rise or something. And we start off with these random, unexplained massacres and the madness and this new drug. And I was like, okay, the game is
1: widening. But and then ultimately, the the whole thing with the red fever and the drug and Cornet—none of it mattered. It was just a red it herring. Was just- it like, all
0: went back into gang wars and politics and yeah. cloak and dagger and more of the same that we had in the last two books.
1: And and it, and it wasn't even like the point of the gang wars and the cloak and dagger yeah. stuff. Like it was literally, it was, it was literally a, a red herring chaos. that that <laughs> the powers that be sent Warden to chase down to distract him from what was really going on. No, like, uh, and I'm I'm really oversimplifying yeah. it. My
0: I know I'm oversimplifying the crap out of this. I I, I get that. I just I'm trying to exp- eh. I'm Trying to make. Brief my overall impressions. Of why it did not land for? I'm me. not
1: sure you yeah. are oversimplifying it. I th- I think you're. Y- I'm you're sure I'll hear how I'm oversimplifying it. Right on point. You know, like I I still am left with this issue where I'm like I enjoy Polanski's writing. I think he's a really talented writer. I think he's a talented writer too. Like when it comes to crafting sentences and and yes. choosing words to tell a story, he's amazing at it. But the story he's telling, I didn't like very much.
0: It's like a 4K camera pointed at a desert. <laughs> yeah. it's, I don't.
1: Or, I mean, or like a burnt out tenement in in some like you know rundown suburb of Chicago, yeah. like, <laughs> it's, like behind
0: in, in front of the eye of Stanley Kubrick. You know, like it's just um, it, it looks good, but it's when you observe the overall image, it's kind
1: of bland. Yeah. And and so this. I want to pull back to kind of that larger scale narrative here. And this ties into like, why uh, my point about Albertine earlier, where like, I couldn't really picture her until that final scene. Mm-hmm. I wanted so much more of Albertine. Uh, mm-hmm. I I think I mentioned this. I feel like it was two weeks ago now. Cause we did a, we did slow regard right in between. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's been a little while, but I was talking about how I felt like this series needed to be longer and Albertine needed to be brought up earlier in the series. And yeah. And I still feel that way. Like I, I just wanted so much more from so many of the plot lines. Like he would have Mm -hmm. these moments of genius, a beautifully written scene, a touching character moment, but it, it just felt like a, a little Island of it. And and there wasn't a satisfying narrative arc to it. Where like Albertine, she's we, we have a series long kind of setup in the first book. We have a mystery established, like what did Warden do that got him kicked out of Black House? What did Warden do? And then finally in the third book, we find out it's at the beginning of it. It's something to do with this woman. And then as the book mm-hmm. develops, we we get a couple of flashbacks. That, you know, there's one flashback where it's like, okay, she's a spy and you're the leak, Warden. And then we have another one that shows like, all right, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. Yeah, he spared her. And then the next time we see Albertine is this final scene. And she wasn't even like a major player. Like, like Warden didn't come into conflict with her in this book. She was just kind of there well, that was, off in we the, in the to, yeah. shadows. Um, you know, sorry, my cat's throwing stuff off the <laughs> uh, right. counter. Um, she's just kind of off in the shadows and, and we're told that she was the mastermind for the Sons of Sakura's, like political maneuver, but we don't see any of that happen and we never feel any weight to it because we don't know her enough and Warden doesn't isn't forthcoming about their history enough. We don't get enough flashbacks to care about the relationship. And on top of that, I mean this is maybe this is getting a little bit into um character, character but like the scene where they meet, the flashback where they meet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Unintentionally hilarious. Like Unint- okay. It, it was so unbelievable that Warden didn't immediately see through all of the giant, obvious red flags that, like, this woman <laughs> is not being honest. Like, yeah, like, but I mean, some the most beautiful woman 10, you've right? ever seen walks into a bar and immediately hits on you and then immediately takes you home to have sex in like the middle of the day. And you're a super ugly guy, well, and he- and like. Like, I don't care, like, how sexually frustrated you are. Alarm bells are going off in your head. Like, that doesn't happen, you know? He
0: he has justification for it, and the question is whether you want that justification. Yeah, I didn't know. Not at all. (laughs) The way he justifies it, just just so, so it's clear, the way he justifies it is that he knows she knows that he is the second most important person in the city, ostensibly, and he's okay with her being into him for that reason specifically, and he also wraps it up with this quote at the end that I actually ended up liking so much that it's in my third favorite scene where he just goes, sometimes you just want to pretend, you know, so he kind of tries to justify it, but the question is then becomes, uh, as yeah, you're yeah. saying, Drew, whether <laughs> three books of preparing you for Warden as a character really makes that believable or not as a flaw, or if that's just something like, that
1: the author needs. Yeah, sometimes you just want to pretend, try. but you, but it's you can't pretend when you've exchanged literally like two sentences with a woman and she's like let's go back to my place. Like Hmm. in the middle of the day, like this, this wasn't like he was out carousing and, uh, and got hit on at a bar when he's well into his cups. Like he, this is the middle of the day. He's like having a work meeting (laughs) and, and it is a woman just like the most beautiful woman he's ever seen just comes up to him, says like, hi, I'm Albertine. Who are you? Nice to meet you. Let's go bang. Like, I
0: buy it no. just because I have no 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 reason to believe better of Warden. Ugh. He's given me no reason before this to, to...
1: Well then again he hasn't yeah, but exactly he spent the whole series he spent the whole series talking about how smart he is though. Like mm. and this is the yeah, one time where filthy, he's not smart and he's like again. so yeah, I can turn around and say, unbelievably uh, stupid about it. Like uh no, I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I I was like laughing throughout that scene because I thought it was so dumb.
0: <laughs> we could just go straight into the character if you want because I have no more style things unless you do.
1: Um I do uh, I I had a couple of, you know, a handful more things where I was just like, you know, this book wasn't just wasn't edited as well, you know, the wrong your used. What? Um, no way. Yeah. No way. Uh, if, not in my
0: not in my copy on the Galaxy on, on Kindle.
1: Yeah, so this is in Let's see, chapter ch- charging. chapter 37. Um uh, I'd never have found him if it wasn't for your capable shadowing. And if you think he'll forget the face of one of the men who broke him, I can assure you, you were thinking is incorrect. Oh, like no. YOU apostrophe R E. You are thinking is incorrect. Oh no. Yeah. And oh. like and there and there are just like obvious things where you know, Could be a copy edit, thing, ty- or... typing issues where uh, you know they just didn't catch it. We're like, uh, there's another one. Um, and how long you think the hoax is going to let this go on? Which should be you think the hoax is going to let this go on? Yeah, or like it's just typos actually, that slip through. I
0: think I actually
1: you know did did
0: notice that one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like it just I mean I brought it up in our first first episode. Like this book just wasn't edited as well. Wasn't proofread as well. Um, sure. There. are uh, I, I noted again, uh, there were some more tense changes, like I uh, called out at the end of Tomorrow the Killing, where he just like randomly switches to present tense, even though he's still telling a I past tense up on story. Those. I'm glad you um, did. Now, obviously, at the very end of the book, he goes into present tense, because
0: Jeez.
1: as we find out, this is him like telling this story as he's as dying. As well. Yep. Um, so when he gets to the end and as he's dying, of course he's speaking in present tense, but like, but there were, you know, there were some points where, um, you know, he chose to grant my prayer. The scarred one has always been kind to me. There's just the one fanatic working to reload his weapon. Like, and this is in there a is. flashback. This is when they're like raiding um, you know, like when Crowley messed up and the the guys have the bomb. Uh,
0: that's right. Yeah. And then Warren cracks that clay thing over his head.
1: Yeah. And it's like yeah. uh, the, this, this paragraph starts off, you know, like there was a scream from the building. Past tense. I sprinted over to his body. Past tense. He chose to grant my prayer. Past tense. And then there is just the one fanatic working to reload his weapon. Present tense. Ah. Like, you know, it just... I don't know, weird, weird things. Um, let's see. Do I have any other notes on um, style here? Uh, I've already gone over the, the grimdark stuff. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's about it for, for style things. Okay.
0: Well, as as that, okay, characters, warden, um... I really didn't didn't write much down about Warden as a character, despite the fact that we kind of got our real only um, growth, I would say, that we've had from Warden. Yeah. Like, and it kind of bothers me that a lot of this growth is in other characters, or at least with how they relate to Warden. And for example, you were talking about Albertine in your style discussion. Mm-hmm. And what I was going to say there was that I was I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised. You had mentioned briefly this feeling of dissatisfaction perhaps or something unfinished with Albertine something that you had wished more of. I was a little surprised uh, conversely um pleasantly on the subject of Albertine because Polanski used that character to do something unexpected to Warden. Right. Warden lets her go and that for me was such a huge surprise and there was a lot of freedom I don't, I don't, are inherent in that choice. It felt like a releasing of a burden for Warden. So they're there for Warden. And since we're on the character of Warden, that was a genuine moment of growth and decision for me. I was like, finally, we got something like that. But on the character of Albertine, <laughs> on the other hand, it kind of sucks that her most defining moment in this series was a what it was about what rather than who it was a means for changing Warden rather than anything that she accomplishes for herself. Uh, but it was still well executed and unexpected with Albertine's character and how it related to Warden. Warden got that little bit of growth that I wanted to see. And so I can't say that Warden was a total write-off in this series in the, w- or in the way that I felt like he was in book one and book two. I was just like, there's nothing to work with. Finally,
1: there was something. It just wasn't enough for me. So trying to find the, the, uh, the right words for this that scene, the, in the scene itself, I thought it was really strong in terms of like what it meant for warden's character, like you're saying, mm-hmm. but it was the conclusion of the scene that I felt was narratively unsatisfying because, uh, there was so little throughout the series, uh, about Albertine and what this relationship was and what this relationship meant to warden, uh, that it didn't carry much weight for me. Uh, uh the okay. the big character growth I felt for Warden was with Ren. Um you know yep. where we see him admitting well, to himself, sure. you know like mm-hmm. uh how he was nearly a father for Ren and and he he makes choices at the end of this book to to keep Ren away from becoming another warden. Uh, Whereas midway through the book, it certainly seemed like he was setting up Ren to become another warden, you know, by dragging him along to, to help embarrass uh, Captain Ashleton. Um, You know, how, how warden is finally giving Ren more responsibility in his, in his dealings. And then at the end here, You know, we have the scene after uh, they kill Crowley and, and Warden's putting booze into Ren and I'm thinking, oh no, you know, and Ren's like, you know, I'm an adult. I, this is my choice to make. And Warden agrees and he says, yes, you are, you are an adult. This is your choice to make. And, and I'm thinking, great. You know, this is Warden kind of reaching a new or a different low where he's going to allow Ren to become entangled in the same awful life that Warden has been living for the last 15 years. And and then we get that turn, we get that twist where he drugs Ren and sends him off to live a good life and not to be stuck in crime and sin and, you know, the awfulness of low town
0: yeah i mean i was expecting a darth wren we've been very clear about mm-hmm. that since book mm-hmm. one and i was so you know i i what i had originally assumed was that we'd get darth wren and then it would lead to this huge conflict this conflagration perhaps <laughs> it actually kind of happened with the bar at the end but i i thought <laughs> it would be like this this huge this huge deal about wren making this giant mistake this sacrifice on behalf of warden or what i thought more likely Adolphus, and you know, when we got none of that, by the time we were at the, near, near the end of the book, and that none of that had happened, of course, and it all was like, okay, I am assuming that Ren is just turning into another warden, and it was surprising at the end that, that it didn't turn out to be quite that simple. I'm glad that warden made that choice. I did kind of feel fulfilled on the characters of Ren and Albertine, both for wildly differing reasons, you know, with Ren leaving legacy that's not stained necessarily and with albertine you know the 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 lifting of a burden you know being able to to realize agency in himself again but i was still not it could have been so much more i am left feeling bitter because of how
1: much more it could have been yeah, if you like, had been let breathe. What I expected to happen with Wren was that you know, as we're getting through the middle part of the book, and Warden is realizing the old man has somebody spying on me, like somebody mm-hmm. close to me. Yes. Oh my God, I, my eyes I went thought, so wide in that moment. I thought Ren was the one, and that this is it, and this is and, the and that of we, Ren. yeah, yes. exactly. And then when Warden was going to say, "Yes, you can make your choice. You can come with me." that ren was going to stab warden in the back uh when it came to betraying the old man that ren was going to double cross him and and that was going to be you know the beginning of the end and then and then warden would end up somehow falling into the into the hands of Albertine and that would be him telling the story to her uh, you know like i talked about uh, with in the part mm-hmm. 1 episode where I, I i thought like you know this this would make sense narratively for why we're not getting very much of Albertine in the series, because Warden doesn't need to tell her about herself. She already knows that story, you know? And then the, the oh, brief yeah. moments when he does decide to talk about her, it's like him, this is maybe him saying, this is my perspective on what happened that you don't necessarily know. Uh But of course I was way off on all of those predictions. Um So I, I mean, I guess pro- props to... Props to Polanski for that. Yeah. Where, like I, I nailed the first book and I was way off on the second too. Um,
0: I was way off on of a lot of my
1: predictions yeah, as well. Although yeah. I kind of honestly think my predictions were better. <laughs> it still. certainly would have been more satisfying.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Uh, let's talk about Mazzy. Na- oh, Mazzy of the Stained Bone? Uh, that was disquieting <laughs> disquieting is a hell
0: of a word to use <laughs> six men were more than or twice enough in change to be able to deal with warden six men were not enough to deal with mazzy yep. <laughs> yeah no shit <laughs>
1: wow the, the worms the verbs. the worms the worms the
0: do dude, dude, the nothing don't even don't even get me started <laughs> oh god i had oh and, and the way that we have left Mazzy with that last image of her just slitting that dude's throat and yep. that blood spray. It's like, she's going to be okay. Yeah. What about Mazzy? She's going to, trust me, trust me, bro. She's going to be okay.
1: Yep. Oh, my God. Um, Did you want gonna... more from Adolphus?
0: I wanted, depends what you mean by more. In his role, no. In just what we got from him, yeah, I wanted more. Everything around Adolphus, I wanted what happened to him actually to happen, but in much larger scale, uh, scale with larger consequences. You know, I, I, I definitely thought we were going to have a Wren seeing Adolphus's corpse and lose his mind and and seriously have a cha- like have a major chance of going dark. And I'd always assumed that would be because he had done it himself or or screwed up somehow. Just to, for Adolphus to rent like there was that building tension at the end when things were starting to go wrong and black house was moving against warden and he was, he was genuinely fearful. And then of course the, the chapter just picks up Adolphus was as large in death as he was in life. And you have no, you didn't have time to, to get ready for that. There was no setup for that. You weren't walking into a dark room with things broken everywhere. It was just over before you realized it. And yep.
1: I, it made his death feel worse. meaningless.
0: But it was very much of a letdown. you would definitely would have wanted to have seen this. I've put way too many halves in there, but you get what I'm saying,
1: yeah, I know i I absolutely do it It's another symptom of the cynicism of this series, the outlook uh it's it, so much is just meaningless, yeah, and it fits the vibe. It's just a terrible vibe. I don't like that <laughs> vibe.
0: Yeah. I don't know. And how how, obviously candidate for most obviously telegraphed final scene ahead of his death, like end of chapter 34, when Adolphus refuses to take Warden's advice and lay low, it just it takes that slow zoom on Adolphus's grin and I've got customers to serve. And I write down in that moment, oh no, Adolphus has some serious about to die vibes right now. And then the final lines of that chapter, Adolphus winked his one eye, homely, fat, the best man I'd ever known. Don't mention it. I was like, no, yeah. oh, come on. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it it might as well have had a sad music. A
1: lot <laughs> 100%, like a, 100%. And
0: like a fade to like black and white, a desaturate with a slowdown and then just like, mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 it,
1: yeah do you, do you have any other characters to talk about or shall we a miscellaneous? Gwiscard? Did he piss you off at all? Did you see it coming? Uh, I did not see it coming.
0: I did um, not see it coming, and it felt appropriate, and it, I was pleasantly yeah. surprised by it.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, it didn't piss me off. Um, Same. I, I actually kind of ended up liking Guiscard as a character. Yep. Um, yep.
2: Yeah. I don't, I don't okay. Know.
0: Um, I've just got two miscellaneous points in both of them. I just learned new words, of course, because Polanski is a good writer. Um, <laughs> perfidity, sorry, perfidy, not perfidity, perfidy. Perfidy. Yeah. Perfidy. Thank you. Deceitfulness yeah. slash untrustworthiness. Oh yeah. And torpor, a state mm. of physical or mm-hmm. mental inactivity, lethargy. Yeah. Both of them. Good words. Those are in my vocab now. They're Very in my much. They're vo- my notes, I should say. Um, yeah. I do have three favorite scenes as well, but nothing really else in the, the way of miscellaneous. I don't even have like one-liners to, that I wrote down that I liked this week. I didn't do that. I didn't bother.
1: I, I, I did. I did have a couple have, of one-liners okay. that I wrote down. Um, uh, let's see. I got to find the... Uh, I got to find the scene. So it's in chapter 37. He's talking with Ren. Uh this is when they're kind of walking through town and Ren's trying to prove himself. And, and Mm -hmm. he goes, why do you do it? You know? And, and, uh, Warden says, I didn't raise a fool. You can't put the pieces together when they're all laid out. I got no help for you. You know? And then he, Ren kind of figures it out. And then Ren goes, who's going to win. They're talking about the, the war between Uriel and the gets, he goes, who's going to win. I smiled something that might have been savage. I will. Yeah. I always win. And then, uh, the other one right near the end, uh, <laughs> when he's, when he's talking to Ren again in the bar in, in Lumiere's bar, this is before he drugs Ren. Um, you know, the plan hasn't changed. I said, you and Adeline are off to Kinter at dawn. I'll be following you when I can. It's a little late in the day to be squaring me out of accounts. It's a little late in the day, period. (laughs) I'm part of this now, like it or not. I killed a man tonight. Let's quit while you still feel bad about it. You don't feel bad about it. I am what I am. I'd like to see you be more. That was a great line. Yeah.
0: It just it makes me it just makes me more sad because it could have been better. Mm. It it that reminds <laughs> me of
1: what it could have been and wasn't. It didn't have time to be. And and that's my that's my last miscellaneous, and I wanted that to be my last miscellaneous because that's my honorable mention. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Well, let's go straight into finals uh, favorite scenes then. Yeah.
0: My third favorite, and I, re- I referenced this earlier when you were talking about it, Drew. Uh, chapter thirty-three, Warden meeting Albertine. I liked it. Especially the ending. And I have the quote here. Like I said, I should have known it looking at her. Because at the bottom, when it was just you pleading your case to logic, that cold, implacable, and resolute force, women like her did not fall for men like me. Birds do not swim. Fish, or sorry, nor fish fly. The sun gives heat and the night steals it, and I would no more be loved than I would wake up one day to discover I would grown a pair of eagle's wings. Life is what it is, but by the firstborn, sometimes you just want to pretend. That was deep. That mm. was heavy. That was poignant. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was just on a like on a sentence by sentence basis. That is Polanski flexing as a writer. That is good writing. Yeah, yeah. So
1: good I had word Smithing. Wordsmithing. <laughs> wordsmithing. Thank you. Yes. Third favorite, Drew. Uh, the scene of Reinhardt's crime, chapter one. Oh, oh, I had forgotten about part one. What the hell is
0: wrong yeah. with me? There was a scene in there that I wanted to, oh, well, it's yeah. good. It's good that we have
1: a wider variety because if I had taken it, yeah, exactly. Like, that, was a, that was a damn good e- opening scene. Even if, even if ultimately I I thought this book was not as satisfying as I'd like it to be, as you said, that was a hell of a way to open a book amen that was dope yeah
0: chapter 25 is my second favorite There's a flashback where we see warden reeling from albertine's betrayal more specifically this is the moment when he returns to his place and his thoughts keep wandering to Albertine and his failures as he's considering the environment he's considering his situation and everything around it and what it implies. There's just a lot of frailty in this scene. A lot of human in in Warden that we just don't really get many times in this series at all, in my opinion. This facade stripped away, the the fraying wires of Warden himself. And again, I've got the quote. I could smell her in the sheets and the throw pillows she'd insisted I'd purchased, though they seemed to be utterly without purpose. And then later, also, her name was almost certainly not Albertine. Also, she had never loved me. The woman who was not named Albertine and the woman who had never loved me. You know, there's just this loop, this returning loop that's... I don't know. It it seems appropriate for the surreal, disbelieving quality of this scene. That was palpable Mm -hmm. in the writing. So again, on a wordsmithing level... It is good. I think pretty much everything I have to say about this yeah. series that is positive is about the word smithing in particular. So hundred percent. Yeah. Chapter 25
1: was my second favorite. Yours. Nice. Uh, my second favorite chapter 41. Mazzy of the stained bone. Oh, You know, like you said, <laughs> a standard black house kill order is carried out five. by six men. Brutes handpicked from the lower ranks. The old man always has his eye out for talent and it's never hard to find someone happy to make money doing violence to strangers. Six men are enough to kill damn near anyone if they're armed and trained and willing. Six men would have been enough to kill me a couple times over. Six men were, apparently, not enough to kill Mazzy. Yeah, that is some heavy... It's one one of those scenes where, like, you know what it's building up toward, but it's still so, so satisfying when you yeah. get there. It, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the scene in um, near the beginning of City of Stairs when uh, Ooh. when what? Shara and um, and Vo oh. and, and then you hear like the crash bang. Yes. And, and you, like, yeah. What is
2: that? That <laughs> is cigarette <laughs> Like oh.
1: it's it's one of those moments. It's just I just got chills. I yeah, just got it's chills. great. It's great, and it is so good too. Uh, that's yes. that's the exact same feeling that I got got from reading this. So uh, yeah, that was good stuff. Yeah. So what was that, your favorite? My favorite scene is the last scene, Warden dying.
0: Not because really? Warden is dying or maybe it's not actually I should, I should clarify it's not him dying that makes it so great obviously his final thoughts were moving uh, as you know of course they should be your main character is dying it, it, but it was some powerful writing as you would expect polanski is a powerful writer and it was it was this it was a send off of the literary caliber a character like ward most definitely did not deserve i would have hoped to see adolphus get a better ending than he did warden was a constant frustration to me i never liked him nor do i think i was supposed to nor did i even understand him at any point so i feel nothing for his death beyond the relief that i want to continue <laughs> with anything like that ever again hopefully but it was those, those few paragraphs were very moving thinking about the blue crane thinking about celia thinking about everything that you had forgotten Mm. about and i was like oh yeah or it's just it was uh it was an appropriate send-off but it felt like too much it felt like warren didn't deserve something that beautiful (laughs) sorry that's funny that's funny (laughs) but uh it was nice again wordsmithing just wonderful wordsmithing
1: okay your favorite true yeah. so my favorite chapter 47 warden meeting with albertine the the scene setting you know the first thing i'd done after coming into the house was to shut all the lanterns save the one nearest the entrance the second thing i'd done was take a seat in the darkness light a cigarette and get to waiting you know like this is one of those scenes where I can so vividly picture what this would look oh like in a God. movie. Yes. You know, uh, it's, it's great, but I, I love, I love the questions, you know, that he asks uh, the way it, it kind of shows us what his internal landscape is like without telling us, you know, mm. and, uh, and they're there, their kind of back and forth is great. It, it's another, it's like, man, I wanted more of this. I wanted more scenes with Albertine and Warden together because they're, they're, you know, fireworks when they're yeah. talking with each other. Um, the potential is there. You know, like <laughs> why involve me at all? I understand after 10 years, you don't have so many pieces left on the board, but still best case scenario, you put another shiv into black house, skew the old man's vision seems like small reward given the risk of setting me loose perhaps i just wanted to see you again my laugh was long and bitter and meant to cover how much i wished that was true you know, like yeah. those those lines they're all throughout this scene Ooh. so good so good so those turns of phrase they're just
0: yeah so word ninja when he yeah. chooses to be
1: yeah so i think that's a Brings us to the end episode. of our yeah of our discussion uh, on overall thoughts on, on the, the series. F- uh, I don't know. I really I don't like you, know.
0: I feel like you may, you may be more positive than I, so I'll go first then. Uh, let me give you some time to to think. I, I'll say that overall, I'm leaving the series in the rearview mirror, and I I don't think I'll ever be returning. Polanski is an author about whom my opinion has changed a bit. Or maybe I should just say it's broadened. I I, adore, I still adore what he did with the builders. I think his writing on a sentence-by-sentence sentence level, if I have not made that as clear as I could have, it, it's superb. Everything about this series though, occasional, short of the occasional one-liner, I kind of just generally hated. The setting is <laughs> so unappealing and unengaging. The The main character is a genuine piece of shit with no redeeming qualities. It just felt like, I, I didn't even mention this the whole episode, but just that, that consistent formula, scene after scene after scene of warden goes to meet somebody, then warden goes to meet somebody, and then warden goes to meet somebody, and then flashback, and then warden goes to meet someone, and then warden goes to meet someone. It never really recovered from that it just continued on that exact note until the end and i will probably like i said i'll probably never return to this series i'll still be checking out what polanski does in the future because the builders was still that good (laughs) but this series i'm just like oof i'm i'm just glad it's it's over that's honestly and that's not something you want to hear i imagine if you like as an author but i
1: don't Uh, know so i it didn't move me. I've read didn't strike me. I've read a, a you know a couple of non low town short stories. Obviously, the builders and then a dream uh, before we die. That uh, was better than this whole series. Baby teeth <laughs> is the other one that I've read. I thought both of those were far better than than low town. Um, I I just don't really know what to think about this series because aspects of it were incredibly satisfying to me as a writer. And aspects of it were incredibly unsatisfying to me as a reader. So, very interesting. Yeah, like I think he does some really, really clever things with uh, narrative structure, especially in uh, in book two. Uh, the way he used the flashbacks, I I love the oh. way he uses the the narrator, the first person narrator. Um, to tint the world through a character's lens. I think it's expertly done, even if I don't particularly like the character. Yeah, but that, that's where that delineation comes from. Like I I can really, really appreciate the artistry that went into making this, to writing these books. Hmm. But I best did not three. enjoy the story. Best of Be- the three, best of the three? Lowtown, the first book. Yeah? Yeah. I'd give
0: it number two, Tomorrow with the Killing. Really? everything around Adolphus and the buildup of the rev- like the the, rev- the revolution that didn't really happen but you know him, him coming more into himself and then the revelation about what really happened uh in their past and everything that for me was satisfying
1: and again the use of flashbacks to achieve that was that's pretty good I like number two yeah i I still think the best scene in the whole series was in number two yeah but but yeah so I think that brings us to the end of our discussion of the books but of course we still have the final draft. Uh, we do. Rob talk to me <laughs> it's not good
0: you're not gonna like it it was just vodka and mango juice and it, it oh. wasn't really worth talking about it was I mean <laughs> it was strong as is not perhaps obvious but um no not really worth talking about how okay. would you
1: <laughs> okay just like,
0: so yeah uh, like so uh,
1: really I'm kidding I am not drinking anything right now um but the streak is going to continue. So, uh, good. Just for the listeners, uh, just so you know, uh, I'm taking some time off from from drinking. Uh, not exactly sure how long it'll be, but I'm I'm taking some time off. However, my lovely wife Lauren is not, so uh, she's going <laughs> nice. to actually get to talk about the beer. But <laughs> nice. I'm still bringing on. I'm having her drink uh, a thematically appropriate beer. Um, and this so she's one, she's taking one for the team. Yeah, yeah, nice. exactly. It's, nice, very she's nice. Really suffering. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's hard. What a burden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> sounds like it. But yeah, so she's she's coming in for a, like a celeb shot of sorts Good. Good. here. Uh, and this beer, though, this is, um, I'd say, thematic for for the series overall. Uh, it, you know, a play back to the original title of the first book, the Straight Razor Cuer. Uh, but Lauren, talk about the beer
2: first. All right. So today I'm drinking a barley wine aged in Law's whiskey barrels. And it is, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Where's it from?
2: It's from our mutual friend.
1: It's a Denver brewery. Yep. Which oh, okay.
2: is is mutual friends with the brewery that I work for. And okay, I got, nice, I got nice, to nice. meet a couple of their staff members when they came to brew with us. Fun, fun people, fun group. Part of the family. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. So our mutual friend. And I want to talk, if I'm allowed to, just a little bit about what kind of a beer this is. Sure. Okay. Hell yes. So barley wine is an ale. That means it's a top fermenting yeast. And this one is... Quite dark, brown in color, and... Uh,
1: English style, I would imagine?
2: You know, it's hard to say whether I think this is more sweet or more... Hoppy? Hoppy.
1: Really? Interesting.
2: Maybe on the sweet side?
1: I guess I just like assume any whiskey barrel-aged barley wine is going to be an English style, because I feel like those, you know, the caramel, toffee, kind of dark fruit flavors you get in an English style barley wine play better with whiskey than the like hoppier, more like imperial red ale type of American barley wine. Yeah. What he said. So
2: (laughs) this one definitely tastes like a British ale yeast. It's got those like toffee Mm -hmm. notes and caramely. Uh, But yeah, it does end on kind of a hop note Hmm. and then the alcohol sweetness takes over. Cause this one is a, (laughs) 14.9%. 14.9%. What
1: was <laughs> oh, <is> that all?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but but they definitely left some of the sweetness in there. Um, Drew, do you want to talk about the name?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as I said, this is a callback to the original title of the first book, but also just generally uh, the solution to a lot of problems throughout the series. Oh, no. This is called Fixed Blade. Oh yes.
0: Okay. Very nice. I thought that was gonna be darker, but it was <laughs> it was it was great actually. That, awesome. that is as dark Fixed as blade. you wanna make it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We had enough darkness in this series as it was.
1: We did. You think it'll be rereading at some point, Drew? Can you um, see? Um probably not. I'll be honest. Mm. Uh well, okay. I'll qualify that. I almost certainly won't be rereading this because I want to revisit the story. There may be times where I'm writing something and I want to revisit this to look at, you know, the gears, so to speak, look at the, the moving parts that make Polanski's writing style work. Interesting. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I think that's a wrap then. This has been episode 162 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yes. Next up, and I just realized I forgot to, uh, to look and, and figure out the actual page number or chapter that we're going to read to. Uh, but we're going to read about the first half of Sons of the Oak by David Farland. This is the fifth book in the Rune Lords. Uh, we have previously covered the first four. Uh, if you haven't listened to those, uh, check them out. Some of our earliest episodes, so they may not be as high quality as you know, as structured and and uh, you know as you're used to <laughs> with our recent episodes. But I'd just like to apologize for those. Yes, <laughs> um, but but they're fun nonetheless. Uh, and so so the reason we cut off where we did is that while the Rune Lords is an eight book, uh, unfortunately unfinished series, uh, as the author. Recently passed away unexpectedly. Um, really, it's two different series, like sub series, and the first four books are what is known as the Earth King series, and Sons of the Oak, which we'll be starting next week, is the first book in the Scions of the Earth series. And uh, and and I'm really excited about it because I've I I haven't read Sons of the Oak in a long long time, uh, but my memory of it was that it was possibly my favorite in the series. So, I'm excited nice. to revisit this and and see what's what. Uh, so yeah, that that'll be just about the first half. I'll I'll probably update on you know, on our Discord and and uh, Facebook pages once I figure out you know what the schedule will be. Which One last chapter? Time, chapter will what? Do. Oh, so yeah, that's right. You haven't done. Uh, yeah, yeah maybe because I thought I'd missed it. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but as always, like Rob said at the top of the show, if you want to support Inking Out Loud, you can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud or on Coffee Ko-fi. it's ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. That support means a tremendous amount to us. It is the main reason we are still going. Uh, we've been able to afford you know website hosting, uh, software. We've been able to, I think, dramatically improve the quality of the show over the years because of that, oh, yes. that generosity so yeah go
0: back and listen to the you know <laughs> yeah. Dave Orton, uh, novels for sure if you yeah. don't believe me <laughs>
1: <laughs> back when we were recording with like echo coming through the computers absolutely yeah it was it was a little rough <clears throat> episodes um,
0: like three through ten we'll have them
1: yeah uh but yeah so if you want to support us you can find us there as always i have been your host drew mccaffrey and with me is my co-host rob santos Hey, right here. And our celebrity beer reviewer and...
2: Uh, uh, intoxicated uh, one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the intoxicated one. names <laughs> only. Yeah. Um, and and I just want to point out as well, uh, so Lauren, uh, in case it's not abundantly clear from that little final draft there, Lauren knows a lot more about beer than I do. You know, she works in the bu- brewing industry and she has her own podcast uh, where she... Yes. Talks about beer. Uh, it's it's all about you know the history of beer and the ins and outs of brewing uh, beer styles. It is it's called the Novice's Guide to Beer Styles. Correct?
2: Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a little obsessive with the history and teaching myself, and so <laughs> I might as well keep going.
1: Good. Yeah. So oh, if yes. you if you enjoy the final draft and you want to learn more about beer, check out Lawrence podcast. But. For now that's it for low town that's it for daniel polanski for now and uh thanks for listening we'll catch you next time bye